So this second reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, and it's on page 1,211. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, I was on a certain trip with some men from church about a week ago up north, and I wandered into one of my favourite supermarkets. I got up early on the first morning we were there, and wandered into Booth's. I don't know if anybody here has been to Booth's. Um, I'm sure living here in the, the Waitrose belt of Cambridge will be familiar with just how good Waitrose is. Well, imagine that, but times 10. And that's a little bit what like, Booth's is like. It's like kind of the, the northern version of Waitrose, but a lot better. <laughs> the best supermarket I've ever been to. It has immaculately clean aisles. It has uh, wonderfully crisp, modern signage in all of the areas of the supermarkets, uh, abundant displays of fruit and vegetable that you couldn't begin to uh, think about, spacious, green, lovely car parking, and not too expensive either to boot as well. I don't normally wax lyrical about supermarkets, but Booth's is the supermarket experience par excellence. Now, compared to the supermarket I went to when I was growing up, which, well, which my mother dragged me along to when I was growing up, uh, it's just a million miles apart. That was a gateway supermarket. Hands up here for anybody who remembers gateway supermarkets. Okay, a few of us. Uh, I think at some point it became Summerfield and then it got bought up by co-op. Uh, but anyway, this gateway supermarket was pretty grungy. Uh, it had permanent stains on several of the floors caused by goodness knows what terrible incidents in the past. Uh, products were left in the boxes rather than put on shelves. Uh, there was a disheveled look to the whole place, both on, on, in the setup and also the staff themselves. Uh, the, the kind of like the supermarket version of just got out of bed look, really. Uh, inadequate parking for the number of people who tried to get there. Very poor service. The permanent smell of rotten fruit hanging over the whole place. And to boot, it wasn't terribly cheap either. Okay, so booths on one end and gateway on the other end, a million miles apart. Booths was so so much is so so much better than that experience why would anybody given those two experiences together go to gateway well that sort of comparison is a little bit like what's going on in tonight's passage it's saying that the christian life is like the booths Uh, it's like that that much better than the alternative so so much better why would we leave it Why would we forsake it for something else, for the previous way? Now, in Hebrews itself, in Hebrews chapter 12, it's not supermarkets that are the illustration for how much better the Christian life is, but rather mountains. So, verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, 
and that's burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged no further words be spoken to them, and to stains on the floor and to disheveled appearance and to rotten vegetable smells. But, verse 22, by contrast, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to stacks of fruit and vegetables, to low prices, to good car parking, and to green, lovely appearances and crisp signage. So, so much better to come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an awful lot better than Sinai because of all sorts of things, including where it is, who's there, and what is going on. So let's break down the very rich imagery we've got here and just do a little bit of thinking about why Zion is so much better, why this city that Christians have come to is so much better than the alternative. Zion is better because, firstly, of where it is. The illustration that's coming here in Hebrews 12 is drawn straight out of Exodus chapter 20, when the nation of Israel had been rescued out of Egypt and they'd been brought through the wilderness for three months to the base of Mount Sinai in the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. But you get any clue there. They were in the wilderness. They had left the cucumbers and the delights of Egypt behind, and they weren't yet in the milk and honey of the Promised Land. They were in the in-between space. Mount Sinai was not provided for agriculturally. It was not a rich country. Uh, They were picking their living off rocks. God had to provide for them by giving manna and giving streams of water coming out of unexpected rocks occasionally. He did provide for them, but it was in spite of rather than because of the circumstances. There were other nations about to boot who were wary of what Israel was going to do in the wilderness, what they were about, what they were going to do next, and who therefore engaged in various conflicts with them. It was a dangerous place for all sorts of reasons, both natural and human. That's where Sinai was, pretty unpleasant. By contrast, Zion was in the promised land. It was in the land of milk and honey. It was, moreover, in the centre of that land, surrounded by friendly tribes, surrounded by, surrounded by mountains that would help to defend the city in case of attack, uh, all sorts of natural and human defences. And moreover, the Mount Zion was actually inside the city. That was the, the mountain on which the city was built and which it surrounded. And this city wasn't just any city. It was the capital city of the country, where the king lived, where the temple was, where festivals were held, to which the entire nation went up. Mount Zion, in other words, was not only well provided for and safe, but also the centre of attention. But it's not just the earthly Zion that's referred to in this passage by way of comparison, but the heavenly Zion. Verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, you've not simply come to an earthly mountain as Christians, but to a heavenly mountain, a better version of that good earthly mountain. This is the version that God himself has built rather than has simply been built by human beings. This is the version that's not simply his footstool on earth, but it's his very dwelling on earth. This is the version that cannot be destroyed by Assyrians or Babylonians that will remain forever. On that same trip, uh, this, uh, when I went up north about a week ago, as I went on to Booths, 
we actually did also go up some mountains. It wasn't just a, a men's fellowship trip up to visit a nice northern supermarket, so you'd be glad to know. Now, those, those mountains were incredibly beautiful, but they're also very desolate once you get up there above the tree line. They are proper wilderness, a British wilderness. And wildernesses are great for a visit occasionally, but they're not the sort of places you want to linger in too long. Once the crowds disperse and the sun sets and the temperature dips and your ration of cereal bars carefully tucked in the rucksack run out and perhaps the rain starts falling, that's not a place you want to be for long, particularly if you're feeling tired particularly if you've been injured at the end of the day, as I had been, you would not want to stay up there for very long. Much better to be back down in the safety and security of the town in Keswick, or even in Little Shelford, which by Old Testament standards certainly was counting as a city, given its 800 population. Sinai, likewise, was okay for a visit by God's people, but it's not their permanent home. Their permanent home is Zion, the city. It's an oddity to find Christians isolated in the world. We are called into a people, into a collective, a city. Certainly, periods of retreat when we go on our own to pray and to listen to God in silence are good, and Jesus himself did that. But permanent isolation is not natural for Christians. That sort of Uh, practice is asceticism and has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel draws us both to God and also to one another. We don't need to spend a lifetime in isolation in a desert. It's good occasionally to retreat there, but not permanently. Zion, a city, a community, is so much better. So it's better because of where it is, But this mountain is also so much better because of who is there. So God certainly was at Sinai, as he is at Zion. He came down on Sinai. But he was separated from the people. They were separated from him, strictly. Moses was told repeatedly, keep the boundary, maintain the boundary, prevent even an animal from touching the boundary, as was referred to in verse 20 of the reading. They could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The earthly Zion was in a slightly similar situation in that the temple was separated off. Uh, God was dwelling there. That was his footstool. But you couldn't go too close. There was a series of courtyards through which increasingly few people could enter. The heavenly Zion, by contrast, is completely different. There, we enjoy full access. And the question of who is there includes not simply God, not simply a few select people, but anybody who trusts in him, as we see in the end of verse 23. We have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. It's not just us there, then, at this heavenly mountain, but all those who've gone before us in faith as well, and all those who will come after And not simply left in the way they were during life, but made perfect. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit completed in the heavenly Zion. Verse 23 again. We have come to the church of the firstborn, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. 
And not only to that, but also to Jesus, the perfecter himself. In verse 24, we have come to him, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, risen and ascended and glorified, he is sitting there, enthroned in the heavenly Zion, just as was promised in Psalm 2 when God said, I will set my king on Zion, on my holy hill, fulfilled Christ sitting in the heavenly Jerusalem. I took uh, my first uh, degree at university in Nottingham. It was a politics degree. And I was particularly interested in British politics. There were lots of aspects of it going on, like international politics and um, uh, European politics. But it was British politics I was particularly interested in. And the module I chose in my third year was on parliamentary politics with a wonderful professor called Phil Cowley, uh, who actually literally wrote the book on British parliamentary politics. Uh, If he's listening in by any chance to this, then hello, Phil. Uh, I am actually still Facebook friends with him, so uh, you never know. But uh, it was an excellent module to sit in with him teaching because, as I say, he'd written the book, and he was also an incredibly friendly character. And he had had a deep interest in his students rather than simply wanting to get rid of them and get back to doing some research. He really wanted them to understand the subject. He was the sort of lecturer who thought, well, wow, I'm amazed we've got him here in Nottingham. Incredible he's not often in Cambridge or Oxford, actually. One time, however, during this module, there was a substitute sitting in. It wasn't Phil sitting there in the lecture room. And some have asked, what's happened to Phil? Where is he? It was such a disappointment to hear, oh, sorry, he's ill this week. He can't be here. He's uh, recuperating. So much worse to have somebody who hadn't written the book, who wasn't terribly friendly, and he wasn't terribly interested in his students' teaching. Well, God has written much more than simply a book on British parliamentary politics. He's written the book of life. And it's so wonderful to have the chance to sit in the room with him, with full access to him, to his wisdom, to his knowledge, to his love, to his care. So much better than anybody else we could sit in the room with. And he is there, sitting in Mount Zion, welcoming us in. We don't have to be at a distance to him. By the blood of Jesus, as we've read at the end of that verse 24, we now have full access to the God who made us, who sustains us, who redeems us. And he is there, welcoming us in. The heart of the Christian life is very much about wanting to be there with him. Knowing God, who is so much kinder and so much better and so much greater than we can possibly imagine. Zion is therefore better because of where it is and because who is there, but also because of what's going on in the city. You might have noticed in the reading that around around Sinai, there's a storm brewing. You have not come, verse 18, to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and a storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard this begs that no further words be spoken to them. We get a fuller sense of the storm that was brewing uh, back in chapter 19 and 20 of Exodus itself. And uh, as I referred to in the notices, we are preaching on that particular passage in the morning services at the moment. I noted a few weeks ago as we began that series and we began to look at the setting of the Ten Commandments 
But it's almost as if there are four disasters happening all at once at Mount Sinai as the Ten Commandments were given. Firstly, the brass section of the orchestra has gone completely out of control, which, if for nobody else, then certainly for the conductor, was a great disaster. Uh, Some of you might know, certainly those who play them, brass instruments can make a very big noise. And so for a trumpet to be bellowing loudly, along with the trombones and everything else, would be quite a racket if they're out of control. But then more seriously, uh, a magnitude 8 earthquake, with the mountain trembling as they stood there, a force 12 storm with the winds coming down, and a Class D wildfire, with the whole mountain going up in smoke and billowing with it. The closest experience I said at the time that I've had to that sort of earthquake and those sort of uh, terrors is being on a P&O ferry across the channel, and the way it kind of shudders and uh, jitters about at the start and end of the journey as it kind of manoeuvres about in the harbour waters. Uh, the ferry's meant to do that, but mountains generally aren't meant to do that sort of thing. So being there by a mountain that's meant to be pretty stable as it's juddering about like a ferry in the waters of Dover Harbour would have been pretty terrifying, especially when you throw in the brass section of the orchestra, the wildfire, and the hurricane as well. Pretty terrifying storm. One much more terrifying than any of us have ever been in. By contrast, at Zion, what's going on there is a party. Not terror, but joy. A great festival. Verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. Some of us over the summer might have been to festivals, uh, Some, I'm sure, have been to Reading Festival. I know our next-door neighbours went to Glastonbury and had great fun there. Uh, Hannah and I, actually, just yesterday, we were driving past a festival in Tame, where my sister lives, the Reading, uh, the Tame Food Festival, uh, which looked great fun, with lots of flags and tents and so on. Uh, Festivals are great, wonderful, big gatherings. They can be a bit muddy, though, sometimes. But this festival that's happening at Mount Zion is not simply uh, big in scale, It's also wonderful in quality. It's a wedding banquet. Just imagine that, something on the scale of a festival, but of the quality of a wedding banquet as well. Now that is quite a party, size and quality. And so you can well understand why all those angels, thousands upon thousands of them, are experiencing such incredible joy as they gather together. It's a much happier place than Mount Sinai. And how do we gain entry to this festival, this wedding banquet? Uh, Not through simply a a little paper tag that we wear at uh, festivals today, but instead by the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of of Abel spoke the word of um, condemnation, of guilt. By contrast, the blood of Jesus speaks the word of forgiveness. And that's the way we enter and stay in the party. And we have come to this mountain. Did you note that in verse 22? It's not you're going to come, but you have come to Mount Zion. We're already there as Christians. Now, there's certainly some parts of the Bible that say, do strive for that new creation. Work hard for it. Keep on going towards it. But this also said, in some sense, we're already there. We've already made it. We've come. We've arrived. We're at the mountain. Now, 
The risk, therefore, is not that we don't attain to the mountain, but that we leave the mountain behind. The emphasis here is on remain there, stay at the mountain, stay at the party. That's not a party at Mount um, Zion that you're going to ever tire of or that you're ever going to ruin your welcome, outstay your welcome at. But there is a small twist in the story, and that's that the other contrast between these two mountains is that we can't touch Mount Zion. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched like you could touch um, Mount Sinai. By contrast, you've come to a mountain that can't be touched, Mount Zion. Now, people might say to us, therefore, oh, well, you're just making up this mountain. If you can't touch it, if you can't actually feel it, you've made it up. But Jesus' resurrection is our guarantee that that mountain really is there. He rose again and defeated death, and he is seated and enthroned at the mountain. And spiritually, as Christians, we are there already. And so we keep going. We keep going in faith, as the book of Hebrews instructs us. Nick mentioned earlier he loves the book of Hebrews, and uh, the great theme running through it is of Jesus' priesthood being so much better than any other priesthood we've known. He has a better ministry, offers better sacrifice, with a better liturgy, in a better temple, enacted on better promises. If that's not reason enough to keep going with him and to keep faith with him, then here's another reason. The great Mount Zion. It is, in many ways, as I say, the booths of mountains. It's in a great city with the people of God, with full access to God himself and an eternal party that you don't ever want to leave. Let's pray that we wouldn't do so. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you so much for bringing us to that mountain. Thank you that you have transferred us to the realm of your beloved Son. Keep us and hold us, we pray, at that mountain. Keep us in his presence forevermore. Amen.